Again, we're continuing in the book of uh, Corinthians, uh, written by Paul. And just a reminder of uh, the background that's been shared uh, pretty much each week. But, you know, Corinth was a huge trade center. It's uh, located on an isthmus that connects two bodies of water. And as a result, uh, it was just a major trade route coming by, by animals, uh, pack animals from the north uh, and, and ships from the east and the west in the Mediterranean. And so it was a large city. It was a trade center. Uh, it was noted in a sense of a very wealthy city uh, for commerce and trade. Uh, their, one of their claims to fame was the Temple Aphrodite. And this was a uh, religion uh, based on, of all things, the goddess of love, uh, Aphrodite. And one of its formats, if you will, for worship was the availability of prostitutes who helped raise money for the temple. In fact, there was over a thousand prostitutes, male and female, uh, that's, that worked within and around the temple to service it. Uh, as a result, Corinth was known throughout the Mediterranean as a, uh, as a city of immorality. Basically, uh, the, the phrase, anything goes, would really apply to the city of Corinth. Now, Paul is, is addressing the church that got started there in, in Corinth. And if you're interested about some of the history of that church, uh, you can find it in Acts chapter 18. I'd like to just share a little bit with you. Uh, it says, uh, chapter 18, uh, I just want to read a few verses in the middle of it. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, to the Jewish people at the, at the uh, synagogue, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with the entire house, his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So, I find that interesting to share with you. Because here we are talking about a, a city that is corrupt, immoral, has an immoral reputation, and yet has a solid base of believers. And it was interesting, the Jews, which was very typical, that Paul experienced this in multiple places, rejected the idea of Christ as the Messiah. And he says, I've preached it to you, I've taught it to you, I've shared it with you. You continue to reject, you know, I'm out of here, and the irony is to start the, a, a worship center right next door to the synagogue. And, uh, and of course, Crispus being the ruler of the synagogue, going with them. 
And so, Paul was basically upsetting things a little bit there in Corinth. And that's why God encouraged him and said, don't, don't worry about anything. You're going to be safe here. And uh, so, this is the city of Corinth. And this is where Paul is, is writing to. He's been there and, and uh, we find from, I think it's chapter 5, we, we find that he, even before this he had written another letter uh, and uh, that we don't have. But uh, this letter is explaining a number of things. Now, the interesting thing is you can imagine a church that's trying to lead people to the Lord, as people come in, they're going to bring all of their habits, if you will, <laughs> with them. And it's going to be an adjustment to, to make the transition. And, and so there's, there's division in the church. There's you know, people saying it was very popular in, in Corinth, for instance, to say, Oh, I'm a, of, of this uh, philosopher, this Greek philosopher, or I follow this Greek philosopher. And they all had different ideas about what it was to, to live a good life. And, and so uh, they started, even within the church, finding different teachers in the church that they particularly liked. Oh, I'm, I follow Apollos. Oh, I follow Peter. Oh, I follow, you know. And so Paul is saying, no, this isn't the way it works. We follow Christ. And I've come to you to preach Christ crucified. In fact, last week that was uh, one of the things that was important. Uh, B.J. brought it up. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 2 said, I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the core of the preaching from Paul. The Greeks were really... Uh, well, I, I guess you could say hung up on the idea of, of debating philosophies and, and, and debating science, debating math for that matter. And, and uh, they were into all of these different uh, things which they called wisdom. And, and, uh, and so they, they, they are anxious to, to be known, if you will, the, the, the thing was to say, you know, have somebody say, well, he's a really wise man, you know, this type of thing. That would be an, a, a great compliment. And so, uh, Paul jumps into that idea of wisdom. And he takes all of this into account as he begins to teach. Uh, and, and so, uh, let's go back to, to, I just read verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, of, of the start of chapter 2. Let's read a few more of those verses. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. In other words, they weren't like the, the great orators that were, were sharing. But I came to you with a simple message is what he's trying to imply. And, and he says, but in demonstration of the Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. In other words, if I were to come up here with all sorts of flowery words and, and fancy talk and stuff like that, you might cut aside and say, oh, uh, you know, we follow Bob, you know, this type of thing. So I didn't come to you with the wisdom of, of men. I, I, I came in the power of God. So that's where we are in this. This is Paul uh, speaking to them, and, and now he's uh, addressing this idea of wisdom. 
And so, verse 6, he says, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Says, yet among the mature, and the mature is referring to believers. Okay, so we could have written it and said, yet among the believers, we, but the reason why he's calling them mature is because they are a step ahead of everybody else. They're following a, a good thing. And he says, we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom, we do impart wisdom, but not a wisdom of this age. In other words, it's not the wisdom you find them uh, in the, the different halls and different places uh, debating and talking about. Uh, it's not the most trendy thing. That was the other thing about the, 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 the wisdom of, of, of the Greeks. It followed the latest trends. Does that sound familiar? I've, I've had a number of, of commentators going clear back into the 1800s saying that this church sounds much like what you would find in places in the United States. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Now, the rulers could be rulers of, of Rome and rulers of the synagogue, which is, is both including both, and it probably was. Uh, he says we're not we're not in that category. We're not sitting around debating. And see, the rulers of the synagogue even like to to get around together and debate. And uh, which is which which law is the most important law? And they would spend hours discussing and debating which which of the Ten Commandments or the six hundred other laws in the in the Old Testament uh, were were the ones that were more important than others. So if I broke this one, I'm not so bad. But if I broke this one, whoa. You know. And, and so, they, they would spend hours debating these things. So, he says, I haven't come like these others. I'm not what you're used to hearing. I'm coming from a different point. And that would probably perk up some ears to come and to listen. Uh, he says, we, and I believe he's referring to we, the, the apostles, the, you know, the leaders here, uh, apart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, you start to hear secret and hidden and, and you think, well, that's kind of an unusual way to explain it. The other term, one of these terms actually refers to it is the mystery. The Old Testament was considered Christ-concealed. In other words, it was, it was leading up to Christ, but it hadn't been really revealed. The New Testament is Christ-revealed. And so he's saying, we're coming to you with a mystery. We're going to explain it to you now. In other words, we're going to explain what the world has been longing for, a Messiah. And, and, and we impart this, this wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. For our glory, I mean. Uh, in other words, this is something that God planned before the beginning of time. And it, I, I use the, the illustration frequently that I see it in my mind. I see it. God had written a symphony of the of the history of man before creation, and as He started to speak it into place, if you will, it was as if He was conducting and just putting it into place. Everything along the way at its perfect place and time. Nothing in the creation of God and His plan 
is early or late. It's at just the right time. Scripture says that multiple places. And so, we have this picture of, 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 of Paul saying, I've got this, this mystery I want to open up to you. This, uh, the, the, and, and he says, uh, if they had understood it, if the, if the, the people of the, of, of the past, the, the leaders and the, the rulers, and he said, of this age had understood this, what I'm going to share with you, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have crucified Christ. Then he quotes uh, from probably Isaiah, uh, you know, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. What a special little parenthesis. We can't even imagine. Do the best you can. And I'm, I, I've, got a, I, I've got a great imagination. But he's saying, with, with all that I might know, and with all the education I might ever have, and with all the, the skills, I could be a great Renaissance man, if, if possibly, or something like that, I still would not be able to grasp in my imagination what God has planned for us. Anything you've seen, anything you've sung, anything you've heard, any song, any book, has not conveyed to you outside of the Word of God, has not conveyed to you what God's got planned. It's not even, it doesn't hold a candle to it. That should get us <laughs> excited as believers. To think about what's going to happen. What heaven is going to be. What eternity has for us. He said, these things God has revealed to us, I think specifically again the apostles, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit, again the Holy Spirit, searches everything, even the depths of God. So as what's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit is coming from God because the Holy Spirit is what? God. And so he, the Holy Spirit is the revelation of God today. He, he's inspired the Word. It's a God-breathed. We, we need to come to that frequently and re- remind ourselves. The Word is God-breathed. And so what we're reading is, is wisdom and truth that surpasses anything else in the world. Period. Nothing can hold a light to the wisdom that is here. And the focus of the wisdom is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all who confess that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you are saved. You have eternal life. You are part of the family of God. You are joint heirs with Jesus. Paul writing all of those things in Romans. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person? You may think you know somebody. 
but there's a reality that I was reading. One commentator says most of us don't know ourselves. Uh, <laughs> but there's, you know, it, you know, there's a part of you inside you that knows everything that's going on type of thing. Well, the Holy Spirit is, is from God. He's revealing God to us. So, uh, we can't comprehend the thoughts of God. But it says, uh, God accept this. No one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but, capital S, the Spirit who is from God. When you became a believer, confessed Christ, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I know that there are other places where, say, you've got to ask for it again and again and again. You, you, the Holy Spirit is a part of who you are. It's what causes you to be saved. It's what gives you a new way of looking at the world. It's what's bringing about change in your life on a daily basis. It's what helps you to understand when you read the Scriptures. It's, it's, it's in you. And, and so we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What are some of the things that God has freely given? Well, there's three of them in the, in the previous verses that uh, BJ shared last week. Uh, we could go to verse 30, it says, of chapter 1. Uh, we have the, the wisdom from God. We have righteousness. We have sanctification. And we have redemption. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filled with the Holy Ghost I am. Uh, you know, the idea is that we have redemption. We've been redeemed. We, the idea of being redeemed is, is we've been purchased. We've been bought. Whatever it is that was going to keep us out of heaven has been paid and paid in full. When Jesus said it is finished, it was done. And so we have redemption. We are sanctified. Well, wait a minute. Paul talks about working out your sanctification or your salvation. How, are, we, are we? Is it done or is it is something we're doing? Both. Already and not yet. God looks at us as completed. The moment we quit breathing here, we, we're in His presence. We're sanctified. We're redeemed. Sanctified is set apart for a holy purpose. We are saints. You know, isn't that an amazing thing, Saint Ted? You know, uh, you know, it, we're, we're saints. And so, we've been sanctified, we've been redeemed, and we are righteous means we've been justified. And I remember in college the first time I heard this was in Bible college. Justified. Justified. Never sinned. I've been justified. Justice has been served. Justice was, you have to pay for your sins. Jesus says, I'll do it for you. And He did. His resurrection proved that He had the authority to do it. And so, He has paid for our sins. We're righteous, we're sanctified, we're redeemed. Uh, we have these gifts from God. We, uh, 
that we might understand, it says the things that freely given us by God. They're free. They don't have a cost to them. We can't put something out of our pockets. We can't take something that, that we own. Uh, we can't bring anything to the table. It has been paid in full. And it, and it was more than you could have ever found to pay. Anyway, if you had the whole world, it would not be enough. We even have a, a hymn that uses that phrase, basically. If the whole world were mine, it would not be enough. Paul says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. In other words, you can, you can go to all the universities, colleges uh, that you want. You can get all the degrees you want. You can have all of the education that you want. And you can be the wisest man in, in, in worldly ways and understanding. And by the way, I don't want you to... Th- Paul's not putting down any of that. He's just saying, what we have is not of that. That's the world's way of looking at stuff. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's wisdom working in us and through us to change us. That we might understand things freely given by us, God, and that we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit, capital S there, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Who are the spiritual that he's talking about there? Everyone who's a believer. Everyone who's confessed Jesus Christ. You, are a, uh, you, uh, you have a spiritual side to you now that you didn't have before Christ. I, I uh, always impressed by the, the reality here. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And uh, he says, you know, for they are folly, which is another way of saying they're foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You need the Holy Spirit to understand them. And I look back, and, and maybe you can too, and I call them my B.C. days before Christ in my life. And how I look both at, at, at religion and I, I, had, I, I, I found myself repeating ironically in, in a way my, my, my dad's way of thinking. If there is a heaven, I'm as good as anybody else. I wasn't sure about it one way or the other, but you know, uh, my dad's favorite book was The Passover Plot. And if you know anything about that, it was a, it was the that Jesus perpetrated a hoax, uh, you know. And that was one of the first books he had me read when I moved to live with him. And so, you know, I was very liberal in that context. That you know, I'm okay, you're okay, whatever you want to believe, you believe, I'll believe whatever I want to believe, and everybody's kind of hunky dory on the way to glory in their own way. You have to have, to understand true wisdom, you need the Holy Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit, you need Christ. You need to say, Jesus is my Savior. You need to say, I belong to Christ. He is my Savior. I surrender my life.
verse 15, he says, the, uh, well, if we go back to verse 14, he says, these things are spiritually discerned, uh, you know, to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then he says, the spiritual person judges all things. Judges is probably not the best word for here because it's the same word for discern in the previous verse. And I think discern works better, you know. And so it's, you know, the spiritual person judges. He discerns. The idea to judge, not to judge as to, you know, like, you know, but, but, but judging things, you know, you discern the value of them. You're judging the value of them. Uh, to discern, uh, all things but is himself to be discerned or judged by no one. In other words, I am not to judge you, you're not to judge me. Does that sound familiar as something Jesus might have said on the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're not to, to judge one another. We're not to try, try to discern. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to, to look at somebody and say, uh, they see we see a lifestyle that is outside of, of, of what Christ would want, but they're... They're, and they're in the church calling themselves a Christian. Paul says, or uh, G, uh, the John and, G, and James and others, uh, Paul, uh, say, go to them and share what you know to be true with Christ. And, and, and there's a process that, that, that goes through. But, but that's, again, we're not discerning by the world's standards. We're using the biblical standards. And hopefully we're depending on the Holy Spirit to lead us. If we're, if we're looking at our bylaws or something to lead us in something, we're becoming legalists. But if we look at the Word to lead us, you know. And so we are to discern things by the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit helping us to understand it. And then he finally says here, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Which one of you can can say you know, you've given advice to God and you know to instruct Him? Now I I, I have to confess there's times where I think I I felt like suggesting you know yeah but but uh, the reality is He's past anything I could do. His judge His judgment His discernment His thoughts are perfect. What I might have done. At this point in time, he held here, or he did here. And, and I'm thinking, I don't get it. God says, it'll come to pass, it will. In fact, there's things that I'm not going to fully understand until what? I'm face to face, and then I will know. <laughs> but the reality is, is, can I rest with confidence that he's got it? And that's, that's where Paul wants us to come from as we're looking at this. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we do have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so as Christ, as we understand more and more about who Christ is, and it's a growing process, there's none of us in this room that can say we've got a full handle on it that we've achieved, arrived. And every one of us are growing in Christ. That's what Paul wants to hear from us. 
and what God wants from us, just to continue to grow in the Word and understanding, to to surrender more of my life to Him and, and, and be content in Him. I, I have to confess, I look at, at, at what some other people in the world have and, and that are Christians, and I look at them and they're in such extreme poverty. And if I, I, I've been able to listen to worship services of people that are in extreme poverty uh, in, and, in third world countries, and I'm amazed at their worship. I'm amazed at, at their commitment. I'm amazed at their generosity. And I turn around and, and I realize how blessed we are. And I grumble. So I just want to encourage you as we look at this. The wisdom from God is to open up our eyes to the things of the world of God and the way it works. This earth is going to, is going to come and go, but God is forever and He has given us eternal life. I was uh, thinking as, as, as a possible way of, of summing this up for me and maybe it will help you too is actually turning to another spot that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul wrote to them, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look down towards verse 8. At one time you were in darkness, and now you are light in the world. You're doing things differently. You're not the same as, as what you were. You're light in the world. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, and, and, but instead expose them. For it is a shameful uh, even to speak of those things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And it goes on, verse 15, look. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. How are we wise? Indwelt by the Holy Spirit, using, asking the Holy Spirit. By the way, as we open the Word of God, Holy Spirit, please open my eyes to Your Word today. As we pray, Holy Spirit, help me through my prayers that I, that I might be in tune with what God wants. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as the, as the unwise, which would be the world, but as the wise, making the best use of the time because of the days, the days are evil. If we just rested in the things around us, the Corinthians found, you know, the days are evil. You know, uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. So part of the will of the Lord is don't get drunk with wine. And, 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 and for that is debauchery. 
And the idea of getting drunk with wine here is a, is a generic term, meaning don't get drunk with things of the world. <laughs> okay? But, you know, uh, be filled with the Spirit. Capital S. Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It comes back to that phrase, I'm third. God is first, the other fellow is second, and I'm third. And taking that as how you minister to one another within the body of Christ. We, and, and causing one to, to, to be elevated to where they can praise the Lord too. And, and it's just, we're, we're a family that wants to see each other in the joy of Christ on a regular basis. And so he says, be thankful. Giving thanks always. No more perfect time to think about that than when we come to communion. Communion is, is, is thanksgiving to the Lord as we share it. Why? He came in the flesh. We share the bread that represents His flesh. That was a sacrifice for Him. It says in Philippians chapter 2, starting the fifth verse, He emptied Himself of, of His authority and who He was in heaven and became a man. How much of a man did he become? He became a 100% man. It's a ph- phenomenon again that we can't understand. 100% man and yet God. But he would feel everything a man would feel. Pain, suffering, sorrow, anguish, grief, joy, happiness. He came in the flesh. And so we have the bread in communion that represents that. And we say, thank you, Lord. For your sacrifice. But not just your sacrifice of coming, but that wasn't enough. He came and paid for our sins so that we could be sanctified, justified, redeemed, made righteous. That's His gift to us. His free gift to us. And we celebrate that when we share communion. And so let's share communion together this morning. And and again, we're still not passing the trays. Uh, so we're asking while we sing the communion song, if you'll come up and, and, and uh, serve yourself, if you will. And this side is the, uh, the juice and the bread in two cups that you can separate. Uh, if you prefer, there's a packet in that side and it has the bread and the, and the, and the uh, juice in it. So uh, as we sing, feel free to come up and uh, we'll share, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together in just a few minutes. When the prince of life are 
took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink it again to the fruit of the vine, again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let us share the cup. Father, we thank the brilliant opportunity to come around the table like this, share in remembrance what you have done, coming in the flesh, going to the cross, literally pouring out your blood to purchase our salvation. We worship you and we thank you for what you have done for us. And now we ask, Lord, that you would go with us Cause us to be the testimony you need us to be around our friends and our family, within our neighborhood, within the place where we work. We also look to Thursday, a day of thanksgiving. And as we say thank you, uh, Lord, for all that you have done for us, 
we just look forward to having that special day uh, with our families and friends. We worship you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close, please? you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. We have some refreshments in the back if you want to uh, take some time and have some fellowship together. And uh, have an awesome Thanksgiving.